Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-hosts Kira Jade Opitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Part two business, just can here to catch you up on where we left off of Highlander part two, the quickening, aka Highlander part two, director's cut. If you haven't listened to episode one, you should really go back and do that. We're coming back into the movie just as McLeod has gone from being an old man to being a 30 year old hunk and uh, enjoy. to read the script too. Yes, please. The tanker explodes in a gigantic fireball. Trout and Corder each give each other high fives. Their <laughs> mission to Earth is accomplished. What was Katana so worried about? Behind them, now immortal, once again, McLeod emerges through a wall of raging fire. The 30, 30 years old, at the peak of his powers, and pissed off. The dumpster. Louise nearly has a heart attack. Holy shit. She was staring at a man who was old a moment ago and now is a sexy 30-year-old hunk. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, the script was good and then they fucked it up with that yeah. bit. Hey, um, what, what 12-year-old guy <laughs> wrote that? <laughs> it, was a, it was a gentleman in his 40s. <laughs> they mute the holy shit in both versions. Really? Yeah, mm. for rating. I don't know where it is. Where is it? It's Louise saying she pops up out of the thing and she right, says holy she shit. Right, she mouths they something. They mute it yeah. in both versions. Mm-hmm. We'll talk later about some other shit that they mute. There's one reason. thing that I couldn't, I watched it like three times. Anyway, we'll get I, there. I know what it all is. McLeod picks up a sword, Corder pushes a button and wings fold out of his, his backpack. Oh, yeah. I couldn't. And I then he jumps on I couldn't. <laughs> I love I love this. I love the wackiness of this shit. It's almost like wacky races. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? McLeod jumps on uh, poor old Reno's flying skateboard thing, flying disc thing. This is another example of where they had an idea for something, but they didn't get it all. Yeah. And in fact, they didn't really get much of anything. <laughs> there are parts of this shit that are dope. Is there? Yeah. In the script, this is the whole fight. Reno's broadsword in hand, McLeod advances on the Thunderstruck Trout and Quarter. An earth-shattering battle. McLeod fights like a tiger, swords flash all over the catwalk, multiple levels of the street. Finally, McLeod decapitates Trout and Quarter. That's the entire not, description not a lot of detail. for this fight. So this clearly came out of... What are we like going to do? Mal- well, Malkay's mm. idea, for, idea for something. So they use an interesting mix of techniques. So these two dudes, they fly around, uh, you know, they fly yeah. around the set. For um, way too long. For, for, for quite a while. The the amount that they cut back and forth between <laughs> the two of them is fucking hilarious. Again, it goes on for so long. I was like, is this a bit? So, 
let me talk about why it is the way it is, yeah. right? So they have to use a mix of techniques. For straight runs, they are just on Skycam wires. The same thing that they use to move a, move a camera around. You can see them in a few shots. Mm-hmm. You can see the wires in See, this shots. is the thing. Is this the bit where he's kind of low and just over the car? Kind of. Because that bit's kind of dope. Let me talk through and, okay, okay, okay. and you'll, you'll find out. So McLeod's skateboard is on bungee cords that run up his legs to his hip. So he can move his legs up and down yeah. and the, the skateboard thing stays. You can actually see the bungee cords in a couple of shots as well. Right. When they are turning, he is standing on a camera crane that is on the back of a truck. Oh my God. They basically so dangerous. invented a Russian arm without it being a Russian arm. It's the back of a pickup truck yeah. in Argentina. For a, with a person on it. Fucking yeah. hell. The amb- That's how you killed your late actor. Yeah. So fucking hell. The ambition of what they're trying to capture is fucking wild. Think of a similar sequence that we have talked about on this podcast. In Masters of the Universe, they do fucking flying discs. Yeah. 90% of it is fucking composite shots on green screen. Yeah. This movie is only a few years after that, and they're trying to do it all practically. So the ambition is insane, right? Yeah. I think the issue is- is In Argentina. In Argentina. I think the issue is is that once they looked at the footage, it's way too fucking slow. Mm -hmm. So they speed everything up. So it looks too fast. It looks too fast. And then they reuse shots to try and create more action. But they're so limited by what they can do. They can do and that there's no what sense was shot as well. There's by so what much shot, missing in this. That there's no sense of geography. McLeod mm-hmm. passes over the same car like yeah. three, or four, three or four times because that's clearly where they have it set up. Think about it. For every time that they move him in the set, they need to reset up this whole fucking rig. Yeah. They're behind schedule. They're not making all their shots. So what, what they're trying to do is create something out of nothing in an edit. I know what that is like. Yeah. I have worked jobs where you have, I have not shot enough footage and then tried to save it by editing it within yeah. an inch of its life. So, yeah. And you notice. You notice. So, yeah. I mean, thankfully, sometimes not everyone, sometimes not everyone are film so people. <laughs> eventually, McLeod crashes into a car and falls off and then fights quarter from the ground. He cuts off his head and then uh, he also blows up a guy that asked him for a light. Oh, <laughs> that bit. was, again, one of these moments of just like wacky funny. I, d- I didn't mind that. Yeah, that was great. He uses a, like an electrical wire to cut off Cordes' head, basically yeah. sets a trap for him. See, that, yeah. that just didn't translate the geography of how he did that. That was fucking dumb. Was, Again, yeah. It just that was didn't just work, dumb. and then he slowly went through the wire. You know what <laughs> I feel like this is missing? This movie mm. is missing what the first one had, which was like a fight coordinator. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? I did pay attention. There is an interesting name in the stunts, but I'll talk about it at the okay. very end. But I didn't pay attention to who was the fight coordinator, and I probably should have done that. But anyway, he feels the quickening again and calls for Ramirez. Because of the power of the quickening, the lightning bounces off the sh- off the shield and summons Ramirez. But I'm yeah. going to get to that in a second <laughs> okay. because it's different in the script. Again, we come back to the screenplay. Energy of unimaginable power flows into McLeod's body. Tenement windows explode. A water tower bursts. Wind sweeps the area. He starts to glow. Eyes raise heavenward. He bellows at the sky. Ramirez, hear me, Ramirez. His cosmic cry, projected by the intensity of the immortal power, turns it into a bolt of incandescent light. Rocketing heavenwards, it pierces the shield with a sound like cannon fire, its awesome force causing the stratosphere to implode in showers of supernovas. A black hole is created in space, accompanied by echoing sounds from down the ages. In clouds of rolling smoke, a bolt of lightning explodes from the black hole and re-enters the Earth's atmosphere through the shield and bounces back to Earth in Scotland. 
So it came out of a black hole. So it has a much more, like it has this much more epic science mm. fiction yeah. version, but they can't fucking do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't happen. Okay. So questions just because <laughs> yeah. we'll probably go, get to go, it. Yeah. So I'm just going to ask them now. Sure. In the logic of the movies that we saw, does Ramirez reappear in Scotland because yeah. A, that's where he was killed or B, that's where his sword is. Because is that sword the sword from the first movie? Okay, it's not no, got nothing a, to do with this. He had a katana sword. in the first okay. movie. Yeah, yes. no, no, no. So let me, uh, so, okay, let me clear the, it all up. There is a, there is a please handled sword. Please don't confuse each other. I will tell you where the sword that he has comes from. Okay. And it is not his katana. Yes. Right. The handled sword is from the original fight in the car. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's no, what I'm saying. Not, Don't confuse it. Not the katana. He's, it's the sword he's thinking of. What I mean. Well, yeah. that's, that's but that's Connor's first sword. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, they're not. This is what I'm saying. Don't fucking confuse each other. Stop. Just See, y'all knew it. what I was talking about, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, but then he's bringing up a sword from the first movie that's yeah. not in this. That's not in this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's what, talking about that's what I was asking. I know that. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying to you is, I'm about to explain where that sword okay. came from and give you an explanation that does not require you two to confuse each other. <laughs> <laughs> Leading them blind. During a performance of Hamlet in Glencoe, Scotland, at the spot where the Kurgan cut off Ramirez's head, Mm -hmm. a bolt of lightning strikes and Ramirez comes back to life. Ah, poor Yorick. Last poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. Actually, the name is Ramirez. Will you get out of here? Yes, Paul fucking everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Takes Ramirez a second to realize that there's a fucking audience. Uh, takes him more than a second. He has a full conversation He's with the guy before. Yeah, before. What is he- a shithead? <laughs> <laughs> he does learn about that. <laughs> Hamlet is played by Stephen Greaves. He's the host of Video Armageddon in the Fred Savage Nintendo ad disguised as a movie, The Wizard from 1989. Video Armageddon. What the fuck words no, did you say list? to me? It's okay. It'll make sense later. Don't okay. worry about it. <laughs> he also plays a doctor in A Nightmare on Old Street Part 5, The Dream Child. Yeah. <laughs> He's British, but he lives in Australia. So he is also a regular on Australian television. Cue the Australian content warning. He's shown up on Home and Away. Oh, yeah. Water Rats. Oh. He's in the first Scooby-Doo movie because that movie was shot on the Gold Coast. I love that oh. movie. I've been to the place where that was shot. I've been to the, re- what, the stayed in the resort where that movie was shot. Is that, Spooky is that what Island. You guys that Spooky Island. Is that I fucking dig that. It's, yeah. it's Morton Island, which is off Brisbane. There's a uh, resort off Brisbane, and that's where the first Scooby Doo movie was fuck shot. Yeah. Didn't you guys do a conference? We there? did a conference. I did. I worked at a Boost Juice Cult conference, <laughs> there, like fucking more than ten, year, 10 years ago. I don't. I shouldn't talk about it for legal reasons. <laughs> Ramirez insinuates that Hamlet's a little gay. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Sir, whatever you gentlemen felt for each other when your friend was still alive is certainly none of my affair. <laughs> What's your fucking game, shithead? And loses the, <laughs> the phrase. Yeah. the phrase, shithead. Loses the crown, takes a bow, and he takes Hamlet's sword off of him. Yeah. That looks like it is a rapier which is what Connor is using Thank in the first you, that's movie. That's the word I was thinking of. Yes. I do like him checking his neck in the mirror. Yes. Yeah. Glad the, the magic works. Rather glad the magic works. He almost gets run over. Yeah. So much for the horse and cart. 
Oh, there's so many. It's just one-liners throughout the whole movie. Oh, but that's, that's all Connery fun. does in his whole fucking film career. <laughs> <laughs> Past a certain point. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, The Rock. Yeah. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> yes. I, that is the best line to come out of any movie. He has a lot of great lines in that in that movie. Back with McLeod. Louise is in shock after what she just saw. She touches his face. Ask, and wait, then, let me fucking talk about it. No, We're already okay. reacting to it. <laughs> Just give me, give me five seconds and then you can fucking lose your mind. I, will, I promise you, there will be a full stop that makes it clear that it is time for you to react. I need a little light here or I need something. A, I need a light on for when you fuckers can talk. Who are you? I'm Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. And I cannot die. They get it on on a wall to the orchestral version of Who Wants to Live Forever. Malkahi specifically calls this the bang against the wall scene. It is cut out of the theatrical version and the music is replaced with generic score. I'm Louise Marcus from Flagstaff, Arizona. Go on. Uh, Why was this here? <laughs> yeah. It's right. meant to be How hard, are right? they? No, it's, it's meant not. to be she's oh, in so shock. It's awkward. Not. She's in, it's meant to be, let me, she's meant to be in <laughs> shock and awe of the thing that she just witnessed. Yeah. And then they fuck, right? It just but doesn't even, translate. But also, like, are they, are they fucking? It's so weird. Yeah, they uh, definitely yes. still got They're their clothes on. Fucking. They fuck, they fuck it, against the wall. Yeah, the but they definitely still have their clothes on. Oh, it's look, so weird. That happens all the time. Yeah, I hear you. But even in the theatrical cut. so long as well. They oh, cut, they that cut is the whole true. thing out of the no, theatrical. It, no, no, no. They kiss in the theatrical cut. Yeah, they, yeah. they kiss and it cuts in the, th- in the theatrical cut. But that's cut. the thing. Even in the theatrical cut, they don't fucking have enough chemistry to be no. kissing on the street. Or, or bloody moments you, together to wait, wait, wait. know each other. Yeah. Fucking hell. They met 30 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> I already read the part in the script. He's a fucking hunk and he's powered by the quickening. Can we have the line again? The animal <laughs> magnetism of the quickening. I actually think, listen, I, mm. listen, I'm not trying to justify it the way that it is, but I think that there is a thought in the screenplay that it's like the power of the quickening and then the, the fact yeah. that it's hot and he's, she's just drawn to him through... The power through the magic through the mag- through the magnetism. Yeah, now, nah. It means that they just have like kind of weird, super awkward sex against the wall. Yeah, but the I, screenplay has intention. I have a real problem with eighties and nineties going. I don't care. We need to have a leading lady, and they need to have sex because it sells. Ah because man, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I don't no, care. no, no. But it's just it like. Okay, for someone who loves story so much, someone who goes, this script is so exciting but to I me. But I think that there's a oh, difference. Like, I have a problem with you saying, oh, I love it though. I, <laughs> I, I think you're but, totally but right to call it out. It doesn't work for the story. And, 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 and 
probably so many 80s and 90s 100%. movies, it just doesn't work and shouldn't be in there and is gratuitous. I don't, 100%. Think it, I don't think it subtracts from the story. I agree. Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it matters. Like, no, I don't, no, okay. I think that there's a difference. So, okay, so you come yeah. back at me in terms of like what I like as a screenwriter. And, mm-hmm. and so, therefore, I have to, def- have to well, not defend <laughs> myself, but I, have to address, but I have to address that. Yeah. Right. So, I think that there is a, there is a world that exists now where there is some fucking like unwritten rule of requirement that plots need to make sense and plots don't need to make sense. Emotions and characters need to make sense. Yeah, but the emotions and characters don't make sense. It in does. And uh, so many times no, no, it doesn't. No, it does. in the original like intention of the script, it does. It, yeah, and that's, so that's what, so that's what I'm saying, But in the right? movie we watch, I think we all get hung doesn't. up on logic okay, so when we talk in, about, in the original we get hung up on logic when we talk about movies and mm. movies are not logical. Movies are stories that I, we are telling. I agree that and movies so are we not need to be true to a, We need to be true to emotion and not always to plot and logic. And plot, because honestly, plot and logic can go fuck themselves. No. You need to feel a movie. I think I think Adam, yeah, but it, in in none of this on okay. In the I'm director's, saying on, I'm in saying the director's on screen, this does not translate. In the director's cut, when I hear the orchestra music of "Who Wants to Live Forever," that's you just loving Queen and Freddie Mercury. <laughs> that's actually not true because I don't love Queen and Freddie Mercury, which you, you will know if I listen if you'd listen to the to the first podcast. Excuse I know you have. <laughs> I'm not actually a big Queen fan at all. I love. Queen's Highlander soundtrack. Oh yeah. Because of the yeah. way that it connects with the imagery. So I do have a, oh wow, reaction to the visuals and the mix of the visuals and the music, whether or not the story sense, it makes sense from, from a story. The only way this sex work is if it's, we just nearly died sex. I don't know. I think you're both the only right. Way. I think you're both right. I think for what we saw in the movie, it doesn't, it's not really justified, but I'm totally fine with just throwing <laughs> shit in a movie. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is such a fucking kitchen sink movie. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And like I said, like They're the fucking, reason why I like this movie is because you just let it wash over The intention you. is mm. that they're aliens. Yeah. <laughs> At McLeod's house, the fucking design of this space is incredible. It's like a million fucking feet tall. Mm. There's this giant piece of statuary in the corner. Yeah. Um, and the light above the, the sense, head. Well, Fuck, the, it's dark. You get the sense yeah. of the light coming, the blue light of the shield coming through the window and causing like Ridley Scott ripples. Yeah. Which makes sense when the shield is blue and the shield is not red. <laughs> Louise tries to get it all straight. Okay, now let me just see if I can get this straight. You come from another planet and you're mortal there, but you're immortal here until you kill all the guys from there who've come here, and then you're mortal here. Unless you go back there, or some more guys from there come here, in which case you become immortal here, again. Something like that. Of course, it would be something like that, wouldn't it? Something like that. Is there a scenario where he goes back there and he's immortal? Right, okay. So I Uh, I thought that was a thing. In the theatrical version there is. Okay, okay, okay. So this is a line that tells me that even if they don't know what they're doing, they're aware of how ridiculous what they're doing is. Yeah. I just wish that they had stuck to their guns and not lost their head about it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, She takes it well. She wants him to check out the shield because no one will listen to her. Uh, That's why she started Cobalt. Again, in the script, they do not recap any of that stuff that she says. That is not in the the screenplay. That is something that they figured out while they were shooting shooting the movie. Yeah, that's them making this movie going, this is fucking crazy. She also gives him shit for not doing anything for 40 years. Yeah. (laughs) It's been 25 years in the movie. Oh. Which... (laughs) 
but it still says 40 years in the script that I read, which tells me that they fucked around with how long it had been a few times. Yeah. Then the rest of the scene kind of skews, in the screenplay at least, it skews closer to what the rest of their, conversa- their conversation is. Back in Scotland, Ramirez gets himself a new suit to the fucking uh, William Yeah, Tell wait, let's just, can we just pull out one thing? Do you usually do. Because <laughs> if he's 30 after, and it's tw- meant to be don't, 25 years don't. later, he's he's aged so fucking yeah. hectically. Yeah. It's the ozone layer, man. Uh, true, 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 true. <laughs> yeah, that he's makes sense. T- wait, don't you fuckers rag on this next scene because I love this shit. Oh. The William Tell Overture. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. They even wrap up his sword for him. It How fe- good it is feels the mirror like, shot? It feels like it, it's the, a bit much. It feels like the, the the if there was a studio, they went, hey, we we want a montage. We want yeah, a, we, but we, we want we, a pretty woman we, scene. We want a pretty woman <laughs> scene. We want a pretty woman it's scene. Like, <laughs> like freaking Helen, like Helen Mirren sitting there going, yeah. <laughs> we also have Connery for six days, so if we spend half of one day shooting him putting on a suit and doing different things, we can build a whole sequence around it. <laughs> yeah, but oh, that that's shot at the end where the dude who's helping him is in the mirror yeah. and he's looking off. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, it's shot well. Mulcahy mm. shoots yeah. even like Even the parts of this movie that are, sh- that are clearly shortcut at a shot well. Yeah. I, didn't, like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like you're talking to someone off screen, but they're reflected in a mirror the way, in the opposite side of where you're talking. And then behind the mirror? Yeah, yeah. That was really weird, but it I liked good. it. The theatrical version shifts this 10 minutes later. So it's after... Katana has already arrived on Yeah. Mm. Louise and McLeod talk about the sky. She's never seen a blue sky. What was it like? It was... It was the deepest blue you ever saw. But it was more than that. White clouds suddenly turning dark with rain. And the smell of grass after the storm. Red leaves in fall. Snow in winter. It was beautiful. And we thought it would last forever. I wish you could have seen it. So do I. I'd like to. Just once before I die. This is expanded from what is just one line in the script. Yeah. So this, again, was written... On the, fly. on the fly for the well as part of production things yeah. scripts change all the time right and I also the the draft that I have is not dated so it could be like a really early draft yeah 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 and there was probably revisions in the past on not Zeist Katana <laughs> watches McLeod kill his goons on a video screen and leaves for the past in the script this is right after the fight but in both versions it's moved uh, that we watched it's moved later in a subway on a TV we see an ad for the psychic cook Show on TV, The Psychic Cook. Step into the paranormal pantry with the special guest ghost and prepare meals from beyond the grave. Spooky sauces to ghostly goulashes. It's a whole lot of fun. 
The Psychic Cook, weekdays at 5. Brought to you by Xenon, the world's highest... <laughs> how, fucking, this guy. how fucking Robocop is this? Yeah, this is I, fucking I would, mad. I would watch that. I would watch that show. This is one of those fucking manically fucking weird comedy bits. It, is, it mm. does feel like he tried to shift the tone more towards like a Robocop satirical yeah. tone in, yeah. in places. A hundred percent. I, I, I would have loved if he just if they lent into that hard. Oh, it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. There is something that is similar later, later yeah, on. Yeah, I know exactly what it would be. Mm. Yeah. Katana arrives smashing through the street and into a train. He talks to a guy wearing an eye patch TV who was, <laughs> who was in the. We direct, don't get an explanation in for the this. director's yeah. cut. He's watching a Godzilla movie. Yeah, in the theatrical cut, you never see what he's yeah, watch, what I, he's watching. You don't get. You don't understand what it is. I, I liked that shot where he's just it's like so Godzilla's good, right? trying to talk to him in the side of the That's face. That's again another yeah. one of those Robocop beats. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. This sure doesn't look like Kansas. How does he understand what that means? Yeah. Has he seen Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I don't know. Did they get Wizard of Oz on Zeist? I mean, the future, I mean, the past. Time time is a circle. Time is a flat circle. (laughs) I like him terrorizing the kid. You're a little one, aren't you? (sighs) Bet you've always wanted to drive one of these, huh? Me too. Oh, this whole train sequence is fucking dope. Oh, my God. There is... There are some additions in the director's cut. Mm. He hijacks the train, pushes it to fucking ludicrous speed. Uh, are they, do you think they're miles or kilometers per hour? It's just <laughs> numbers. It's, it's, it's just numbers. electricity it's, speed. It's parsecs. It's Pars- the Kessel, it's the Kessel <laughs> one. He's just made these passengers paste. And also, they shouldn't be holding onto the thing. That's not how relativity works. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, there is so much going on here. First off, we have a mix of a full-size fucking train shooting sparks, a model, Real stunt performers and fucking dummies. Yeah. It's much shorter than the theatrical cut, but Mulcahy is fucking going nuts with how he moves the camera around. He does like mm-hmm. this twisting shot that is at speed going down the center of the sh- center of the train. Added back in is a lot more violence and blood. We see a guy slide down a window with bl- leaving a blood trail. Yeah. The guy's eyes bug out of his head in a makeup, in a makeup effect from the speed. There's a woman with a baby in a yeah. pram. She's in both versions, but in the director's cut, when the bodies are slamming yeah. against the back of the wall of the train, there is a baby-sized dummy flying through the air that hits a loose seat and a fucking pinwheels. It's fucking no. crazy. <laughs> Did you not spot it? Yeah. It is oh my amazing. God. It is fucking loose, this I, whole sequence, man. I love it. Oh, it's fucking amazing. It's Can I so say- unhinged. It is a Robocop level yeah, of unhinged. This is it what is I mean Starship to the manic- level yes. of unhinged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the Highland of the Hoven movie. <laughs> can, I, can I say, I feel like there is these manic or Robocop moments. Uh, I feel like something that Australians and New Zealanders New Zealanders kind of have inbuilt our kind of sense of culture and funniness because oh, yeah. like a lot of New Zealand cinema you see this oh. a lot of like like Australian like are, are low you, budget are you, stuff are you, you are you calling back to bad taste <laughs> yes, yeah. that's you exactly right. I had bad taste in my mind mm. whilst watching the scene. You yeah. see it in Razorback, Malcolm. Okay, it's a strain film yeah. that he made before Highlander. Yeah, you, you see, see it. In, you see it in it, all the the original Mad Maxes. Yeah, yes. yeah. You could also. In the director's cut, see a lot of wires. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they also, for some reason, in the theatrical cut, remove or never recorded Katana's dialogue. Oh. Mm. In the theatrical cut, he is mouthing words as he's driving the train, but we don't hear them. Ah. To me, that plays like the Bond company had not done any ADR for the, for the movie and couldn't get Ironside back, and so they just muted all of his dialogue. Oh. 
But for the director's cut, we know that Ironside came back and did some more and did some work. I love that. So they put his lines back in, which is like, you know, more, go faster. Yeah, you he's know, fucking great. He is unhinged. Mm. I love it. Yeah. McLeod goes to TSC to visit Alan. Oh, like, wait, wait. Did we bust through the wall yet? But how he's like, he comes back in and everyone's dead and he's like, last, last stop. Yeah, I sure. love that. It was so good. You would. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting predictable, mate. You need to change it up. Yeah. Never. McLeod goes to TSC to visit Alan. They catch up. Alan asks McLeod what he's been doing. Has he had a face look? You look fantastic. McLeod says, I've been working out. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> so you de-age 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> 25. Alan asks McLeod if he remembers the dreams they had <laughs> as they look at a model of the shield generator. And this is where we get the shield flashback. The, the, the draw over to the model and the like pause after the flashback are so long. They're so awkwardly long. Yeah, I like I it. love just sitting in that moment. Sure. <laughs> they watch as there's a global countdown. The guy that says, stand by, this is it. Stand by. This is it. Okay, boys, let's make this a good one. The world is watching. Is Russell McKay. I thought it was. That's his cameo. Because you movie. can hear the Australian accent. Yeah, well, yeah. there's lots of different accents because it's meant to be global. Yeah. It's meant to be that there are 12 of these installations all over the world. Yeah. In the script, each of them is named for a month of the year. Yeah, December, Which is January, why this is the December yeah. installation. And then we get a montage of the shield starting. We get a mix of old and new visual effects. There's some nice, nice model work here. Mm as the laser fires into the sky and the shield turns on. I really like the model of yeah. the shield building. I, yeah. It's a building and it's also the the, the laser. Yeah. It's just a really nice piece of, piece of design. Is it is the spillway coming from the model? Is that like real and then the model's in the background? Yes. Right. So okay. the dam the dam is real and then they've added pasted the building and the and the laser on. Yeah. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. In the screenplay we get a montage as the shield is being installed. From the December installation, the beam hits a low orbit satellite which spreads it across the world. Other installations interact the same way across the globe, laying down a pattern of intersecting laser beams, popping and hissing with energy, slowly turning the sky yellow. In China, technicians gabble in Chinese, adjusting and monitoring instruments. In Paris, people watch as the shield spreads over the Eiffel Tower, more of the sky turns yellow. In Russia, farmers stop during harvest, staring into the heavens. In Africa, women and staring children watch from mud in awe as yellow sky drives out the blue. In New York, kids on a playground quit basketball staring up at the sky. It's pretty scary. In front of a Japanese tea house, two businessmen and a bowing geisha look up as the nighttime heavens change. On a Texas prairie, a cowboy running 200 head of cattle takes off his Stenson and glasses, watching the blue sky above him disappear. At the December installation, cheering and applause, McLeod checks Alan's hand. McLeod is aware of the predatory way in which Johnson of the TSC sticks close to Naaman. There's this other character called Johnson that's that's in the screenplay that doesn't exist. Yeah. That is like the head of the TSC corporation then. Yeah. So... It's a much more epic sequence than than we get. It goes all over the globe, and you see people people watching the the it come. Yeah, on. which you don't need, but it would have been way not. I think it plays more it, of a spectacle thing. It plays better with the montage we got earlier, which is like yeah. Ramirez and McLeod through time, and it, yeah. it just changes the. This movie is very small compared to the first movie, yeah, because we are only ever in what is meant to be New York. In, in 2024, whereas the, the first movie moves all, moves all over the place. Yeah, right. Back with Alan and McLeod. Alan 
tells him on screen, on the computer screen, what has happened. Again, the production design of this set, out the window is a giant fan that there's just rotating and they're shining smoke and light through. Mm -hmm. So it's just gorgeous. Yeah. And David Blake is watching them via video screen. Alan tells him that the radiation on the, on the computer screen tells him that the radiation is, a, is normal and that McLeod has to go above the shield to see it. He gives him half of the coordinates that he needs, but Blake comes in and interrupts them, taking Alan away before McLeod can give him the other half. Blake, of course. Dr. Is, Cox! Is John C. McGinley, Dr. Cox from Scrubs, or FBI agent Harp in Point Break, <laughs> yeah. where he yeah. utters so many immortal lines that it's impossible to choose, but I'm probably going to go with... Hey, you're a real blue flame special, aren't you, son? Young, dumb, and full of calm. I know. What I don't know is how, how you got yourself assigned out here to Los Angeles with us. I mean, how? I guess we just must have ourselves an asshole shortage, huh? Not so far. <laughs> Seriously, I love him. He's in lots of. He's in lots of. Yeah. He shows yeah. up in all kinds of things. He's great. We've gushed about him before, but like, I was not expecting this. Like, because this is our second watch of the movie, right? When we're yeah. watching the director's yeah. cut, did not see this coming. Well, he's in the first one. No, did the- not see the whole longitude and latitude plot part coming. Oh well, that's because yeah. they cut it out of the actual version yeah. entirely. McGinley, by his own admission is doing an Orson Welles impersonation, which is why his voice is so low. Right. I love that. But it's not consistent. Mm. I didn't realize you got in this early. Not usually, but we got to talking. Forgive me, David Blake, Connor McLeod. Oh, yes, of course. I'm afraid I'd forgotten you were still alive. He only does it in a few scenes. Yeah. Like you can tell that he's not confident with it and he knows that the movie he's in is not going well. So he just stops doing it at a certain point. (laughs) So McLeod and Blake have a little bit of back and forth about the importance of the shield. You know, how's the shield business doing? Yeah, Uh, how's the shield business doing? You know, it's great that you guys built this thing to last forever. McLeod's like nothing lasts forever. Yeah. In the script, Alan writes the coordinates in some spilled cocoa, which is why this scene starts with him complaining about coffee. Ah. He's not making coffee in the script. He's making cocoa and he complains about it. He spills cocoa all over his desk and that's where he writes the coordinates. It's just all very, very strange. Can I just say the fucking line, I wish it was cocoa because the line that says you always put too much water in does not make fucking sense with with coffee. (laughs) <laughs> but well, you can put too much water in cocoa. Well, you can. You can make it weaker. Instant coffee. Yeah. And also it uh, is instant yeah. coffee. Yeah, but still, like, there's like a balance so, with cocoa. So the whole plot line <laughs> of them going above the shield is cut out of the theatrical version. Mm. And in the theatrical version, they cut this conversation down to one line, which is the yeah. radiation above the shield is normal. <laughs> which, can I just say, like, I know we're a creator podcast here and not a Bond company podcast here, but it's impressive they cut a movie together out of that shit. You know what I mean? Is it? They they got something together. It's I not coherent. It yeah. makes way less sense. Oh, I'm not saying the director's cut. Insane. I'm not saying the director's cut makes sense, but it makes more sense. Way more sense. Version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a taxi, Katana talks to a cabbie who asks him if he's in the music business and then just insists that he's this in the This dude again, business. Robocop feel like I should in, I should introduce you to my sister, man. The cabbie. He is played by Phil Brock. He is Charlie in American Ninja. Steve James and Michael Dudikoff's off-starter, Charlie. You know who I thought it was at first? Bill Paxton. He just had a Bill Paxton <laughs> vibe, man. Just Big you Billy just make, up a, just make up another movie in your head with Bill Paxton's <laughs> in this movie? Do you want them to release another version where they digitally replace this cam driver with Bill yes, Paxton? Yes, kid. 
I'd be down. <laughs> Katana tells him to stop abruptly, smashes the window so that he can get a look at a building. So bizarre. And then, so we need to talk about buildings and geography here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because in the director's cut, this turns into Katana's lair. Yeah. But in the theatrical version, they make this the building where TSC is having their board meeting. Yeah. And then they use it the inside of this building again later for something really dumb with her power. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Trust the format on a plane. Ramirez is watching a very horrifying safety video. (laughs) This is the best part of the film. Welcome to your transatlantic flight. Please fasten your seatbelts. In the unlikely event of a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mass will drop from the ceiling. Place it over your mouth and nose and breathe normally. In case of fire, please do not panic. Lay smoke hood over your head and crawl to your nearest exit. Thank you for flying with us and enjoy your flight. Again, very robocop. This is a fucking... I was losing my mind at this. It was so good. <laughs> it's great. And then we go back... Unhinged safety video yeah. for yeah, the, the audience. The model cra- over the plane oh, crashing. Yeah. How they're like... like that's crappy on purpose. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Fucking horrifying. On the roof of Katana's lair, which is this awesome dome with a giant steel eagle, mm. he takes a deep breath. Fuck, it's cool. It's his kind of town. And then he calls for McLeod. They do use this in the in the theatrical cut, but yeah. they put it like way later yeah. um, where it doesn't make any sense. And then, yeah, back with the plane, Ramirez is flirting with the woman next to him. He was just laughing maniacally the whole time. But they, how good are they back and forth? They do, do you think a it's line, just her as an actress just not knowing how to deal with John Connery? <laughs> they add a line that is ADR in the director's cut that's not in the theatrical version. Forgive me asking yet again, but uh, how do we remain so high above the earth with safety? By drinking! (laughs) He tells her it's well known that all of the most beautiful ladies had dark hair. He lists a bunch of historical women, Joan of Arc, Nefertiti, a whole bunch of them. Then he whispers something dirty in her ear. Yeah. You hear more of it in the director's cut than you did in the version. In fact, it's well known that the dark-haired ladies It is implied that those women with dark hair like to sit on men's faces. Yeah. Is that what he says? That is what the The fucking line is. The thing is, because the line he he says after makes way more sense. He has a line about about not eating strange things and then... I don't eat anything I can't identify. I can't identify. And then he goes, maybe not everything. Maybe not everything, yeah. (laughs) In the theatrical version, both this scene and the one before it are bumped together with a dissolve. Which makes no sense whatsoever. Like, yeah. it's just like, they do like, well, it's two scenes of Connery. We'll just put them together. So we have <laughs> one scene of Connery. Uh, McLeod visits Brenda's grave and we get a flashback of her dying of cancer due to loss of the ozone layer. Yeah. Yeah, they do Brenda really Real wrong. It, for starters, it's not Roxanne Hart. It's yeah. just another actress that kind of looks like her and they cover up her face mm-hmm. yeah. so you can't see her. She makes him promise to do something to stop all of this before she dies and then we get McLeod walking away and we get a epically giant crane shot that shows off a hangar with hundreds upon hundreds of sick people in their yeah. beds, which is a homage to a similar shot in Gone with the Wind where you ah. see all the wounded after a battle after a battle. This is they've done her dirty specifically in world as well because this I think is the most offensive scene when you compare it to the last movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This yeah. is the one that does the story the worst. Again, they run themselves into a corner, right? They yeah. need a new love interest. Almost most of 
this type of continuing series of movies in the 80s and 90s, there's always a new love interest yeah. in the next movie. Yeah, it's I never get the, it. It's never yeah. the same person. In the theatrical version, they use this shot at the start of the movie and they cut McLeod out of it. They start, because the shot is McLeod oh, walking yeah, away. Oh, yeah, they do too. Mm. They use it at the beginning of the movie to establish the, the, radiation. the radiation and the sickness from the, from the shield. Yeah. Ah, the solar radiation is killing everyone. At the grave, Katana confronts McLeod. Ironside is just having fun. He kisses a statue. Yeah, again, he's having a good time. Again, mm. he's just doing the Kogan oh, lick, licking things. It's a reflection of the scene where McLeod is lighting a candle for Heather in the church. McLeod tells him he fucked up. McLeod was ready to just kick back and die, but now he's young again. Maybe he will go back to Zeist mm. or not Zeist, the past. <laughs> Katana likes this place. It's got atmosphere. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If you don't take it out and use it, it's going to rust. <laughs> Great line. And then he disappears. And then he disappears. In the theatrical, is that when when they, when they had the whole holy ground thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's in the. They mentioned it in the director's cut as Did well. They? Yeah. Okay. And that they can't fight here because it's holy ground. But we never establish why. I, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things where I'm like, oh, we're learning why they're immortal. Even yeah. it, tell me why. Even in the screenplay, they never address that. Because <laughs> of God, people, you heathens. Yeah. McLeod's place. We redo the circling top-down shot from the first movie, but on a staircase this time, and it is gorgeous. Yeah. As we follow Louise into McLeod's vault room. I love how it is moving at the pace to keep her in the same part of the frame. Yes, it's so, so good. It spirals. It's yeah. gorgeous. That's Makahi's thing. Yeah. Imagine Unbelievable. If the whole movie was that level yeah. of like detail and craft. We see him on a rugby team in like 1910 at war. She reads a part of a ship's log. The Rosemary. The men are all gone now. God rest their souls. I alone have come back from the dead. Again. Who knows how long that will continue to drift. Days, months, years. As of this day, September 6th, 1853, Captain McLeod no longer exists. Will this never end? That was fucking dope. And he's like, in the log, he's saying like he died several times while he's just floating yeah, there. That's fucking can, awesome. There's also a painting of Heather. McLeod has been drawn to Katana's lair. He opens the doors and there is like this perfectly square highlight for him. Mm. Like he's a femme fatale in a film noir. Yeah. <laughs> it is gold. I mean, we have done that shot yeah. collectively as a team. Yeah. <laughs> they also do a top down like shot with a yeah. long shadow with, with this like German expressionism. I love that shot. Massive fucking crow vibes. Mm. It's Brendan Lee coming into the church. There's a, there's a few other crow vibes as yeah. well. This place is a location it is a disused waterworks in Buenos Aires. It had just uh. recently been decommissioned. Strangely enough, it was built in Scotland and then shipped over to Buenos Aires. Weird. So that is a Scottish waterworks. That's random. Oh my God. Totally strange. A random security guy falls to his death. Yeah, I <laughs> never got that. It, it's just kind of like, so we can do a cool, cool effect. McLeod climbs the stairs to the top of the dome where he finds Katana and they fight. This fight is in the theatrical cut, but they combine it with the final sword fight in the shield control, which is why in that version, McLeod switches swords in the middle of the movie. Yeah. This fight is actually pretty good. Yeah. McCarthy's doing his wide, his wide angle thing. McLeod ends up standing on top of an elevator and Katana cuts the cable and McLeod rides it to the bottom where it smashes itself oh, into pieces. It. That is real. That elevator is full size. 
they are really dropping it and Lambert is really riding it all the way fucking, fucking down kidding? from that height. They're using a descender rig, which is usually used to slow down and stop people who are doing high falls on the lift. All the sparks, everything, real height, really in camera, him really riding it. What the fuck is to, wrong with Were they trying Lambert? to kill him? Yeah. It's great. Mm. It's fantastic. I mean, he's safety rigged and they stop it before it gets to the bottom. Obviously, the crash is like a separate element. that Who they do trust the any piece of mecha- <laughs> like machinery that much? In Argentina. Yes. So, yeah. That's no, why. Thanks. I love McLeod cracking all his bones back into place. Yeah. And yep. I, I can I just say I love that they break up the fight in the director's cut. Like, mm. it, it, first of all, it matches the, the, the first film. Like, they're trying to do yeah. way more. Yeah. But you just need a um, confrontation it, it, with the baddie It, it paces earlier. it out. Paces yeah. it out way better. Yeah. The theatrical cut is horrendous. At home, he wakes up Louise. She asks him about the painting and he tells her about Heather and then also about Brenda. Again, the lighting here is fucking spectacular. Her hair is like backlit with this golden light. It's mm. so beautiful to look at. In the theatrical version, she makes no comment about the fact that he is really dirty and has a cut on his head. Because the fight has not happened in the theatrical version. In the theatrical version, like He's I was going to make a note. I was like, is he dirty? McLeod's just filthy. Yeah. He just doesn't bathe. Doesn't bathe. He hasn't, ba- he hasn't bathed since he fought. Yeah. Reno and As an old man. Yeah. McLeod hears a noise and sends her upstairs. And he's attacked out of the shadows by someone with a with a sword. Again, Makahi brings back his giant sweeping crane shots from the first movie. Yeah, boy. And there's this moving light across the scene that mm. makes the grids of the windows, kind of the, the detail of the windows come alive. So it's fucking stunning. Of course, it's Ramirez. Greetings, Highlander. You cold? <laughs> Incredible. What took you so long? They could have killed me. Don't be ridiculous. They fight some more for old time's sake and then banter about art and what is and is not sculpture. McLeod gets him dead to rights in the same spot that he once had him in the Scottish Highlands, again reflecting the first movie. Yeah. And then they toast to the magic as Louise interrupts them. Uh, You two have known each other for a really long time. (laughs) You could say an eternity. Yeah. (laughs) Not a bad impression. In the script, the first half of this scene plays basically exactly the same. In the script, McLeod and Ramirez go for a walk through the streets. Uh. But we can't take Sean Connery outside because he's only here for six days. Yeah. (laughs) In the street, they pass a hulking street sweeper that that is spraying antifungal spray all over the city Uh. to stop the mold because of the humidity. Mm Mm-hmm. The exact same fucking thing that Ebert complained about. Fucking hell. Ramirez wants to know why McLeod never returned to Zeist to take on Katana after the first movie, and he's pissed off with him. Ramirez's function in the screenplay is to get him to go back to Zeist and claim his identity after he's become distracted by his life on Earth. There can be only one. Mm. He's like fucking Christ or Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah. He's meant to bring balance to the Force. I mean, the quickening. (laughs) (laughs) And because... They are fucking cowards. And in the director's cut, they made it not sized. They can't put that stuff back in the movie. Yeah. Which means Ramirez is basically fucking useless in both versions. Yeah. He's only he basically just serves to be a buddy. Comic comic relief. Yeah. yeah. There's also a scene of the three of them in McLeod's vault room together. Ramirez gives McLeod shit for being a hoarder and ever throwing anything away. It's then in the screenplay that Louise comes in and tells them that Alan has been sent to Max, and that scene ends in the screenplay with McLeod giving Ramirez back his katana. 
Fuck. From this point on in the theatrical version, they turn three locations into one place. They combine the Max Security Prison, Katana's Land, and the Shield Laser. Oh, yeah. All into one place. Into Katana one, doesn't have one, a layer in the theatrical Not version. Not at all. Yeah. Because in the theatrical version, at this point, there's only 20 minutes to go, and five of those are credits. Yeah. They move something from the middle of the movie to the end of the movie, and they compress two places, three places into, into one place. Yeah. In the director's cut, we go to Blake. He knows what Alan's been up to. Blake tells Alan that it doesn't matter. There isn't enough energy on Earth to take down the shield and not kill everybody. In the script, it becomes important, but in the movie, it's never that's never really explained or dealt with. Yeah. It's going to be business as usual forever. He calls Alan a traitor, and they have a place where they send traitors. Yeah. We then get the TSA boardroom meeting where Katana <laughs> interrupts. Hi. Yeah. This is like this. kind of Crow vibes as well. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. There's lots of movies that are like this. Yeah. Uh, he's come to join the corporation. Blake has another goon shoot him multiple times and he gets back up. Yeah, it's very The Crow. McGinley's showing all the scenery here. Ah, yes, indeed. Uh, that was brilliantly done. Bravo. Yeah. Katana gets up and beats the goon before slowly snapping his neck while making weird eye contact. Oh, I loved me. this. I thought this, I thought this was him trying to like wrench his jaw open. I thought it was Sam, yeah. but he's just snapping his neck while yeah. making weird eye contact with me. With, with can Blake. I just, just say heavy eye contact? Can I just say, in no matter what the context is, whether it's fucking Godzilla with some fucking Tyrannosaurus Rexes, if a bottom jaw is being snapped off a head, I'm fucking down for whatever that action is. It is fucking brutal. <laughs> and it is always just way too violent and I'm here for it. Good to know. Partners. <laughs> Partners. Blake is in with Katana for some reason. I guess because they need to combine those two things together. Katana, <laughs> Katana wants the Highlander. Right. Uh, Wilson, could we get on the Highlander thing as soon as possible? God, these two fucking actors McGinley's, are so good. McGinley's laugh at the end is so clearly just him losing his mind in improvisation. <laughs> My God, fucking both of those actors, Ironsides, and what's Dr. Cox's real name? McGinley. 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 John C. McGinley. Fuck, they're just unbelievably good. Yeah. yeah. Back at McLeod's place, Ramirez asks him about the shield. What's this thing outside? <laughs> and why? <laughs> McLeod goes to a globe with a yellow shield around it. <laughs> yeah. And then they kind of talk about the fact that they don't have the longitude that they need. Louise tells them that Alan's been taken to Max here in the movie. It's mm. already, it's, we've already done the, the vault thing in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the screenplay. And then like, there's this weird, like shift in Ramirez's tone. <laughs> the edit is weird. The edit is weird in both versions. What do you Ramirez mean? just suddenly gets very angry and smashes the shield. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Around the globe and says, your time is now. Yeah. It's a weird tone shift. I feel like in the director's cut, it makes more sense. Eh. But again, because it's, because it's built to function as him telling him, it's your time now to take your destiny, to become, yeah. the, become the one, become fucking Neo, yeah. become <laughs> Anakin Skywalker, whatever. At max, security stops them at the, at the gate. This is just gold from this point onwards. <laughs> they roll up and Ramirez introduces himself with his full name. Yes. Because they did that in the first movie, so they have to do it again. Yeah. Right? You have entered a restricted area. Please identify yourself immediately. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, Chief Metallurgist to King Philip II of Spain, and I am at your service. This is Checkpoint One outside of Security Installation Max. Identify yourself. Hey, take it easy, man. First time in the desert. Which way to Vegas? Okay, jerk face. Stay put and we'll come get you. Connery says, hit it, dude. dude. Hit it, dude. <laughs> 
It's so awkward. It hurts my soul, but I love it. What the fuck is happening? And then they gun it into a hail of bullets. Hit it, dude. It's very Bonnie and, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh. In fact, they reference Bonnie and Clyde in the screenplay. Dude. The riddling of bullets is fucking awesome. So, so many bullets. So, so over the top, hey. It is. You remember the, Remember there was a podcast a little while ago where I talked about one sunny at the tollways worth of bullets? Yes. Squibs. This is six sunny at the yeah, tollways squibs worth of bullets. It's fucking crazy. And then she hops out of the trunk. Yeah. Too bad. Fine. Too, she's fine. Fine. They Too bad. Do, they do make the effort to show that there is no bullets on that part of the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I pay that. Yeah. I hey. don't pay that that actually happened. If you're her fun. in world and you're like even just slightly doubting your reality <laughs> and then you see them just fucking dead on the front of the car, you're just like, huh, maybe they were just insane. <laughs> maybe they're not immortal. <laughs> She she plays along though. She plays the damsel, yeah. right? And then they take her to a doctor's office. Doctor oh. Sonny Jackson doing a southern accent. <laughs> that so actor, weird. There is an actor making a choice <laughs> yep. that nobody questioned, yeah. including the director. Yeah, they I, gave him a name, and he's like, "I feel like that's a southern, southern name." name. Yeah. It's a southern name. Also, I, they probably only let him do one take. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I did really like um, all the twelve-year-old soldiers. Around yes, her. That is so they true. So young. That's yeah. such a good pickup. They looked like they were all teenagers. They're all babies. <laughs> it's just like little toddlers with helmets and yeah. guns. She asks about McLeod and Ramirez, whose corpses are conveniently laying right nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Not a traumatic experience for her at all. They must have taken 100 bulls or so. They start waking up. Excuse me. 108. 112, myself. Ah, oh, come on. You're not counting that little scratch, are you? Scratch? What are you talking about? It passed right through me. And it damaged my fine waistcoat. They knock out the guards and Dr. Sonny Jackson faints like a southern dame. Yeah. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> they end up taking a lift down into the earth, into Max. That fucking lift, also another amazing piece okay. of set work. It is. At this point in the director's cut and the theatrical version, Ramirez has his katana. I tracked it. I was like, okay. when the fuck does his katana appear? It is here. After they wake up, he has his katana. Okay. But tell me, I'll ask you when we get there. It doesn't make sense. Don't worry about okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean when? when yeah, yeah. yeah okay. No, no, no. I know exactly what you're saying. I have an explanation for you. Okay, okay. I have an explanation for you that is not in the movie. Right. Thank <laughs> Just you. like with every fucking thing else that's happened. <laughs> right? Yeah. They split up. Going different directions in a tunnel that circles around to the same place. Yes. <laughs> just what so is the point of that so prison? They don't get lost. Yeah. Louise ends up going with McLeod. They find Alan. He gives them the rest of the coordinates where they can get through the shield, and then he dies. In oh, the, and his death is fucking classic too. In the he, theatrical, just, he just goes. <laughs> in the theatrical version, he says one line and then just dies. Yeah. And it's pointless that they even went and visited him. Yeah. Other than the fact that McLeod would be concerned for his for his I friend. think they were yeah. just going to go save him. Like yeah. Well, in Weird. the in the theatrical version, this is also the shield facility. Yeah. And also and we also might as well try and pick Katana's him up. Lair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Let's keep all the most dangerous people at the building where we have the plant that saves the world. Mm -hmm. In the theatrical version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blake and Katana are watching via video. In the script. There is a whole society of gangs down Wait. here, like in Demolition oh. Man. Oh, that's dope. <laughs> McLeod and Louise are confronted by a bunch of kids who are the second generation. They are the kids that were born in Max. Oh, this is great. Not in the movie. I feel, I feel like that's just a whole movie in itself. Right? And then we come 
to the fucking fan room. <laughs> Can I just say, there's something great about fan rooms in movies. Like, no matter what the movie, fan rooms are great. This movie loves a giant fan. This yeah. movie loves a giant fan in a set to the point that it just makes the biggest fan. <laughs> a fan so big that it can destroy the universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are trapped as the fan lowers towards them in this room. Circular room with a giant fan that lowers. I just don't feel like it's gone fast enough either. <laughs> Well, it's supposed to be there to decapitate them and kill the immortal people, obviously. (laughs) Which is, like, super convenient, right? It's the same as... I mean, they're fucked if it comes up from the bottom, right? (laughs) (laughs) Ramirez tells McLeod to stay back and stands in the center of the room under the the fan. Most people have a full measure of life. And most people just watch it slowly drip away. But if you can summon it all up, at one time, in one place, you can accomplish something glorious. And then he uses the quickening to force push the fan back up. As fucking bagpipes play. Why? He's an Egyptian Egyptian. Spaniard who spent a week in Scotland 500 years ago. (laughs) My time here is over. You must go and search out Katana. It'll take the power of you both to destroy the shield. Will I ever see you again? Who knows, Highlander? Who knows? Go. Yes. McLeod asks him if they'll ever see him again. He says, who knows, Highlander? Who knows? It's <laughs> The door just fucking opens, despite yeah. the fact that she has been putting a code in. Yeah. In the screenplay, she knows the code because she used to work there. Uh, or she figures out the code because she used to work, work there. Yeah. McLeod and Louise leave, and then the fan falls. Ramirez magics out of existence, and the fan fucking explodes. Yeah. What is the point of this? It seems so random. It is better in the director's cut because in the theatre cut, cut, they recut all of Connery's scenes together. So he's been in the movie about five minutes in the theatrical version. Okay, a couple of questions. I have an explanation for why. Okay. But ask your question first. Do you think the bagpipes are diegetic or non-diegetic? Oh. Him summoning... Him summoning <laughs> he summons the bagpipes. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what I believe pipe. in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. Thank you. That's the only one. I, I was totally fine with the scene otherwise. In the script, he doesn't fucking die. This was the biggest shock of reading the screenplay. Kira was with me when I was reading the screenplay. (laughs) I stopped and explained to her everything that I've been talking to you fuckers about for the past like almost three hours. Oh my God. (laughs) So that I could explain to her that in the screenplay, he doesn't fucking die. That's way better. Well, obviously it's because that it was only there six days. They're like, that, oh, we've wait. run out of time with Connery. Yeah. We've got to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why he had Connor has the sword in the end? What? No, I haven't even got to that part yet. <laughs> well, it is a result of the fact that he doesn't... Yes, yes it is, because it is a result of he doesn't fucking die, but there's another scene that doesn't exist in this dojo. Oh, right. It explains how he gets the sword, and I'll get to it. In the script, they combine their quickening powers together to stop the fan. Right. And he survives. That's awesome. In the next scene, when they get in the elevator to the surface 
to get to leave Max, Ramirez tells McLeod he needs to do this alone. The rest is up to you. He needs to defeat Katana, use his and Katana's quickening energy to destroy the shield and then return to fucking Zeist. Yeah. And take his destiny. And then he just fucking leaves. He walks out of the movie alive. That's awesome. He is only there in the screenplay to remind McLeod that he is the chosen one and that the people of Zeist are waiting for him. Uh, but the, the issue is they've hired, hired Connery, they've sold it with Connery in it, and then they've got to rewrite it and go, fuck, we don't, we, we don't well, have a point for him to be here. Well, yeah. Think about it, though. When they made the movie, they were still aliens from, from Zeist, right? Yeah. But they didn't get to shoot all of the Zeist stuff and all the other stuff and bits and pieces. And as I said, in the director's cut, they can't put that stuff back in. So it just stays useless. And at a certain point, yeah, they probably ran out of time with him and decided to just fucking kill him off in the fan Yeah. Scene because it makes sense for him to die in a giant fan because this movie loves a giant fan <laughs> and it cuts off a head Wait, real well. How, how, how does it work? <laughs> <laughs> how, does, how, does, how does it work? It really blows my heart. Uh, can I just say, I'm so surprised you didn't yeah, pull I that know, one like, out. Adam is, is king. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to pull back a little bit. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to keep it, keep it conservative here. There's already too much ridiculousness in this on Fair. the screen. Fair. But how does he give them in, in the quickening and walk off? Don't you have to die and have your head cut off to give? Depends on the. Movie. It's not about him giving him the power. <laughs> he just tells him like they both they combine their force together. Like it's I don't. I don't it's I don't magic. Know, don't it's combine the streams until of. you need to combine the streams. <laughs> McLeod and Louise steal a truck and leave Max running over Katana as they head into the mountains. I do oh, like the line. This is so good. I do like the line where she's like outstanding. Yeah, That's a nice nice piece of delivery. And I just love how slowly they run him over. Yeah, <laughs> Katana is held on and then attacks them. And as I said at the top. This is when the movie was shut down. This is the scene that was shot four years later. Can I ask, does he say, I'm here to kill your bitch? Yes, he does. Because that was definitely muted, it, like just a little bit. It's in there though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I watched the movie with subtitles on. Mm. Yeah. This sequence is shot day for night. It just looks like daytime with a blue filter. Yeah. Wait, it was, this was day for night? It is. It's meant to be nighttime. There's another scene that I think is that day for night translate. I want to ask about yeah. at the end. They end up uh, kicking him off the off the truck, and then at the coordinates, so pointless. Oh, Jesus Christ, so pointless. I it makes sense when he's trying to stop them because it, yeah. it does, but it but it doesn't work. And and yeah. they shot it four years later, and the truck is not a match. The truck. Oh changes. my god! All kinds of stuff changes. I love that. So it's shot in California, <laughs> not Argentina. Like it's the whole thing. At the coordinates, they climb a ladder and emerge above the shield on a mountain. I kind of love this business. I do too. Where yeah. Louise sees the sky, blue sky, for the first time. Alan was right. The shield has to come down in the screenplay. Mm. They don't climb up a ladder. They ride a ski lift through the shield. What? When they get into the mountain, they have a snowball fight after watching rabbits frolic. That is fucking bizarre. And then they fuck with a view of the stars. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. I'm not even at the bit that you're meant to react to. In a log cabin that they find. No. In the morning... McLeod opens the door to the log cabin and finds Ramirez's katana stuck in the snow in front of the front door. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he went and just like voyeuristically creeped on them. Nope. No. nope. That's what happens in the screenplay. That is the loosest shit I've <laughs> ever heard. That is the, That is crazier than him just having it. That is the <laughs> in canon of the screenplay reason that in the theatrical version and in the director's cut, he has the fucking katana for the rest of the movie. That is fucking wild. When 
In both versions of the movie, it explodes with Ramirez. Yeah. In the fan room. <laughs> tell, you what's, tell you what's fucking hilarious is that Ramirez in the script goes, you have to do this alone and leaves. And then they go have a snowball fight. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't, and he, he watches or something. Yeah. <laughs> He just goes, listens at the door. I swear to Christ, they're doing it. You get the sword, man. You win. Reading this, I lost my fucking mind. Like, I was just like, he doesn't die. I'm like, what the fuck? He doesn't die. And then in the next scene, he just leaves. And I'm like, what the fuck? He just walks away. And then like three pages later, there's rabbits frolicking. And then they fuck in a cabin and he just leaves the sword for them because he didn't want to interrupt them. That's fucking. It's wild. like he forgot. He forgot to give him the sword and be like, "Oh, your sword." <laughs> that is. I'll see you. I'll catch wild. you later on Zeist. Yeah. See you soon, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I didn't want to interrupt your fornication. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. What? Yes. I'm sorry. I know. I'm going. I'm going on about it, but it's just like in some movies, it's like. Yeah. Strange choice. You've got to do this by yeah. yourself because they're injured. You've got to do this by yourself. Mystical power reason. You've got to do this by yourself because I'm fucking over it. <laughs> Catch him, man. I got shit to do. Yeah, like I've, I'm alive again. I met this woman. I'm really not about this, this anymore. On a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this fucking hectic like safety video. I'm all about living right now. <laughs> Have you guys heard about television? I want to watch a lot of television. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go back to Zeiss. That place sucked. <sighs> Fuck. And, <laughs> yeah. Continue after sorry, that. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know. And uh, see. I had to go. <laughs> seriously. When I read that in the screenplay, I had to go have a, a sandwich and a lay down. Yeah. Like I needed to. <laughs> need a sandwich and a lay down. <laughs> I need a sandwich and a lay down. Is, is, is that your recovery? Yeah. <laughs> Oh fuck! That's that's a it's a hard thing to swallow. The oh. sandwich or the script. It's like wild choices everywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's a certain cut or the script. The Shield Corporation. They've been gone for like twenty four hours. They like fell off the radar. Yeah. Even Katana saw which doesn't work. whatever. Anyway, <laughs> Katana's confident McLeod will come back to him because reasons. Blake is worried that they've figured it out that the radiation is normal. I love Katana this. looks out a window and sees McLeod driving towards the shield building. Yep. Yep. That is and what then, happened. And then he picks Thank up you. Blake by the dick and throws him out a window. No, no, no. So first th Blake then goes, you're, you're really fu fucked up, pal. You're fucked up. Yeah, you really miscalculated that one, dickhead. That's, that's his Orson Welles voice. Yeah. <laughs> Looks as though you fucked up, eh, partner? How good is his reaction where he's like, you're almost by it for a second through. He's like, did I? You think? And it's like almost like he's genuinely <laughs> reflecting. <laughs> and then he grabs him and crushes his dick and throws him out a window. And that's fucking ragdolls that motherfucker. <laughs> that scream he does when he Oh blood curdling. Yeah. Choices. Mm. So many choices. <laughs> so many choices. You feel it, right? That yeah. death that death is a fucking Robocop death. Yeah. <laughs> Louisa McLeod enter the laser room. And Katana is waiting. Cut out of the director's cut is McLeod and Louise getting into a gunfight, mm. which is in mm. the theatrical version. Yeah. Well, because in the theatrical version, there's oh, also oh, the, it's the all joining. fucking cut together. Yeah, because it's three different places. Yeah, in the theatrical the version, yeah. it's like one, two, three of all these scenes throughout. And one scene he's using fucking one sword, one scene he's yeah, using like Katana. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in the theatrical version, they have the fight in 
what is his lair. Yeah. Connor falls down the elevator shaft, puts his bones back together, walks through a doorway and has the katana instead of the broadsword yeah. he had a second earlier. Yeah. Yes. In the theatrical version, why does he tell her to, like, hold off the goons? Because he can't fucking die unless they cut his head off. Thank like, you. What's the point of that whole motivation? Thank you. You stay here. To give her some shot. volition. To give, yeah. her, to give her action, because uh, otherwise she just watches but the like, of the movie. Well, I was watching it too, and she's played anyway. a damsel in distress pretty much the whole movie, except for Apart the from first the little bit <laughs> yeah, and exactly. the end little because bit. she seems to be capable at the start yeah. of the movie, and then the movie gives her nothing to do. Yeah. In the script, McLeod uses the laser to project the words, I'm waiting... To draw Katana in, that's call back to good. the earlier scene where Louise used it to put their fucking catchphrase on the on the shield. I like that. Mm. I do like. That. They fight around the laser. How it's- ominous would that be to everyone else in the world? <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> that's so sick. They fight around the laser. This is not much of a fight in either version. Yeah, it's clearly hamstrung by the fact that they probably had no time to do this. Yeah, is this the part where he gets his jaw dislocated? It was probably during this fight. Yeah. Yeah. So McLeod ends up taking off Katana's head and then absorbs his power in the script, he monologues at Katana first. Ah. Connor McLeod has a monologue. A hero monologue. Yeah. I don't see them much. No. And in Katana's eyes is a look we haven't seen before. McLeod. What does it feel like, Katana, to be afraid? I know. I've been afraid to live, knowing I couldn't die, and afraid to love. But that's not true anymore. For my friend Juan Ramirez for my friends on Earth, for the future of Zeiss, and for me. Drawing back, McLeod swings with all his power. There can be only one. (laughs) And he cuts his fucking head off. In the director's cut, we hear Ramirez say, it will take the power of both of you to destroy the shield. Why? And then he steps in. Because... Because he, there's no power on Earth. Yeah. But the power of the quickening oh, can but destroy um, the shield. But in- I think the logic is that the laser uses every power source on Earth to keep the shield going. That's why yeah. it's also dark fucking everywhere as well. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm, I, I thought when he was saying it takes both of you, it was... Her no, and it's him. Katana and Katana's power oh in McLeod God. gives him the quickening power to be able to destroy the shield without killing everybody on Earth. That makes so much more sense. The building in the sun. So more sense? Yeah, so some sense. He steps into the laser. The building and the satellite blow up and the shield disappears, revealing the night sky. This is just where the theatrical cut ends. It ends with a freeze frame of yeah. Connor, Connor smiling. <laughs> it's Wild. so weird. In the UK theatrical cut, there's the fairy tale ending. Where they go outside, McLeod holds her, and they both start to float and glow into the sky. Yeah. Because they are returning to Zeist. In the director's cut, they walk outside and kiss. We get a reprise of Ramirez saying his line about a full measure of life, and the film ends with them just kind of looking at each other. In the script, after the shield is down, we were meant to get a montage. World reaction. Earth's inhabitants see blue sky. In Paris, yellow light across the Eiffel Tower starts to slip away. In Los Angeles, kids on skateboards stare thunderstruck at a blue sky appearing. Yeah, in nah. Rio, white light bathes the famous statue of Christ. Off Japan, fishing trawler crews stare enraptured at the sky, falling to their knees in prayer. In New York, the sun shines against the Statue of Liberty. Cheering crowds throughout the cities of the world. All colours, all creeds, laughing, dancing. 
At the December installation, tiny pieces of glass are like a billion swirling diamonds caught in the light of the sun. The dismantling of the shield is complete. McLeod's glowing body starts to cool. Louise joins him. Slowly they walk outside. And then in the script, he starts to fade away as he is returning to Zeist. He points it out to her in the, in the night sky so that she can always look at it, know that he is looking down at her. Mm. And the last line of the script reads, To the left of Orion's belt, below the shimmering moon, one star pulses brilliantly, standing out from all others in the canopied night sky. Zeist. Fade out. The end. And that wow. is three versions of Highlander 2, The Quickening, aka Highlander 2, whatever the fuck this thing is. Director's wow. Cut. What a film. What a picture. What a film. What a picture. Loved okay. it. Okay. So, by the, out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, one of the stunt crew guys of this movie <laughs> is Mike Stone. Mm-hmm. He is okay. the fire coordinator of American Ninja. Oh, shit. He is the bad guy in American Ninja 2, Two. The Confrontation, which you guys chose not to watch yeah. so that we could watch this movie. You bastard. I think it was a good choice. Okay. <laughs> An appropriate age to have seen any fucking version of this movie or um, read the screenplay in any universe or planet or you. whatever throughout time and history. What I, age are you allowed to have acid trips? <laughs> um, le- legally or I medically? Know. I don't know. No, no age? No. Um, okay. Nah. Do you have an age? I watched Highlander 1 when I was, like, mid-teens. Loved it. Everything, you know, you, you think it's fantastic. Great mm. sword fights, awesome yeah. villains, awesome yeah. heroes. Fantastic. This, I'd be confused as shit. I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, to be honest, I think you need to be of an age where you appreciate good, bad cinema. You know what I yeah. mean? That's the yeah. thing. There's not enough action to justify kids watching it. Yeah. In, in a sense of just like, you know, your, your young teenager going, shit, yeah, there's great sword fights or, you know, weird monsters getting squished yeah. like in the last movie. I reckon um, late teens? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like this question is kind of useless in, all, with this yeah. movie for the first time ever. It's like this movie just breaks the format. It does. Of this podcast. It so does. Hey, in a second, you guys are going to get to rate this shit. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was nine when I saw Highlander 2, The Quickening, the theatrical version for but the very first time. did you like it? Oh. I just remember being very confused. Yeah. Can I get your dad's reaction to finishing the movie? I don't remember. I just remember no. the. I just have remembered very distinctly his reaction to the start, rewinding, and then having to read a title and say out loud, "Zeist." Yeah, <laughs> it, it takes a lot for me to not finish a film. So, it's, did he finish the film? No, we finished. We okay, watched the whole okay, movie. Yeah. It was just more like he was so confused in the first ten minutes that he needed to go back. Oh, he felt that's like, right. He felt like he fucking missed something. Wait, 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 Would you watch this movie again if you're in free will? Any version? Uh yeah. I, I'd actually be curious about the Renegade. I, I, true, true. It's basically the same. It just has a crappy visual effects and it cuts to like VHS looking footage. No, this is right. one movie that I would legitimately love to inflict on other people. Mm. I would like to teach a class about this movie. What yeah. not to do to make a movie. <laughs> not even not what to do, just like... It's a, it's a it's a phenomenon. That's what it is. It's just such a strange artifact of yeah. such a particular set of circumstances. Yeah. It is. It's like a film artifact. We have to rate this fucking movie. Mm. Yep. We're going to rate both versions. Yep. <laughs> the way that we rate movies is on a five-star scale. 
with one being I hated this movie, two being I did not like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I like this movie, four being I love this movie, five being this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I require you both to rate the theatrical cut. Me first, you first. You go first. Uh, the theatrical cut. I warn you, I'm not giving you my rating for either version until sure. you have done both. Yeah, because we, of course. You like to leave us in suspense. Controversial take. Four. The theatrical version of four. Yep. I I honestly You're fucking insane. That cannot no, no, be no, no. I felt like this was like a really fun dementia. <laughs> like, like, that sounds horrible. Uh, uh, trigger warning, anyone who has family with dementia, Brody's just, okay, about, okay. Brody just insulted you. I feel like this is a really fun, like, slip into, an, like, madness. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is, like, someone took- Someone's on happy gas and they're like, the room's yeah. going weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I just, like, let it wash over me, I was like, I'm having a fucking ball. Like, I'm actually just, like, I don't care what happens, I'm having a ball. You? I was a two- yeah, look, I, look, that's also last, a legitimate rating. Last week, Guyver broke me a little bit trying to watch that movie. <laughs> this one wasn't so bad. I was I was interested. I was in it. I was trying to figure it out, and I just couldn't because it didn't work. That's the thing. Mm. It just didn't work. Yeah, I'm very curious because we didn't. I didn't really give you the opportunity. What the fuck was your reaction when you were like there with the aliens? What was your like first uh, reaction? Re- uh, aliens. I was like, they're trying to explain it. Okay. Okay. Mm. I gave him room. Gave him the benefit of the doubt there, and it just nobody else did. Yeah. Like when this movie came out, nobody gave them the benefit of the doubt. Like yeah. I, I was torn because I wanted to give him space. I don't think it is the best explanation. I feel like people, people walked out of the cinema. Oh yeah, people, yeah. people would have walked out and had fucking arguments with everyone. Yeah. Like it would have been an argument creating movie. Oh, yeah. um, there was no argument. It was universally hated. Really? It's universally hated. I've never met anybody that, that likes this movie. Uh, I don't I don't like this movie. The theatrical version. You and Brody's put his hand up, which mm. is great in a fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dickhead. But you don't count. Yeah. Also, you, you you watch this like this week. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a different thing. If you had grown up with this movie, there's mm. a particular way to film yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. Okay. As I said earlier in the podcast, I believe that we don't need to know who the immortals are. People probably watched it and went, hey, we need to know. Like We didn't know anything more than the but first I, film. I, in the first film, I was like, these guys are immortal. There's a few of them. This is happening. Yeah. I'm in, and and the the movie was kind enough to go. You know what? People can just accept that. Yeah, 100%. and let's have fun with it. The director's cut, right? The director's cut. Um, do you need me to do the scale again? Or no, no, no. no Controversial fine. opinion. Let's say he's going to go lower. Let's say no. no. <laughs> let's say the theatrical cut is a low four. Right. The director's cut is a four point five. So that's the variation between the two for me. So it is a point five from I loved this movie. This is one of the, my favorite al- movies of all time. It's almost oh yeah. Yeah, because like you guys know how much I love these fucking ludicrous movies. Yeah. Like the more ludicrous they are, it's like I have two different rating scales. You know what I mean? A rating scale for legitimate movies and then a rating scale for movies that are a step into madness. And I fucking love them. Like, I I just had such a fun time. I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but respect. Yeah. I I was going to be a 2.5. The podcast has changed my opinion. It, it can do right? that. It yeah. does that. Yeah. They weren't going to be fours for me either. It, it's bumped it up to a little. A little. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not. This is not going from a 2.5 <laughs> to a 5, man. No chance, baby. Yeah. Uh, it's going to a three. I liked this movie. Yeah. Um, and I liked the mythology behind it, the story behind it, how oh, it became so crazy and why it is the way it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Mm. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You ready? Strap the fuck in. Are we going, uh, are you going ratings first or ran first? Uh, it's all the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same thing. My experience of this movie is the, and I talked about this a little bit in the backstory, is the confusion and then existing in a society where this movie is like universally hated. Yeah. Over the course of researching the episode, I have completely turned on this movie. Really? You hated this movie? And I'll explain why. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. So you- what was your original position before yeah. the research? In my head, this movie is just that insane sequel where they're aliens, right? Yeah. And I had seen the Renegade cut. I actually have an imported, I have an imported version of it because it was only available in, in NTSC, <laughs> right? An imported DVD of the Renegade cut from like the 90s. Mm. To be honest, the distance between seeing the theatrical version and the director's cut is so vast that I didn't know what was different other than the fact that they weren't aliens anymore. Right? Yeah. So I don't think that in totality I ever had a complete picture. Mm. I feel like now I have a complete picture. Yeah. First, theatrical version. One star. Yeah. What a fucking piece of dog shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, for the exact same reason, it's a four. Also, <laughs> yeah. also both versions, because I did watch the US version and the UK version. Yeah. Because I'm that bitch. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I watched this movie so many times in the past week. And Inside Baseball, we delayed the recording of this podcast mm. because I needed more time. And I needed more time because I needed to know more. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the director's cut. Four stars. Yeah. Right. Four stars because three and a half for the for the for the story and the extra half is because it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Because of the production design and the look of it and Mulcahy and mm-hmm. when it works, I love it. Yeah. Right? So probably should be a three point five, but it's a four. As a kid, I fucking hated the alien thing. As an adult, I fucking love how yeah, right. Yeah. And now having read the screenplay. The screenplay is a fucking revelation. What's your rating on the screenplay? It turns yeah. the franchise. I'm getting there. <laughs> it, it turns the franchise into fucking Star Wars or Dune. It turns it into a giant, Fully. epic, galactic franchise. Imagine the third movie, right? If this is if two is a success, and they go nothing, back to Zeist, it's nothing like the first two movies. Maybe it's not even on fucking Zeist. Yeah, maybe it's on another planet somewhere yeah. somewhere else. Or a, diff- or a different time. It would have given them so much more space. Essentially what we got after this movie failed the first time around We're is remakes. reheats. Yeah. The three, four, five, whatever, are just the same fucking thing again yeah. with like slightly different re- rearranged elements. It would have turned this franchise into something completely wildly different. It would have made it way more interesting than it, than it is. I think the filmmakers were 100% wrong to cave to the backlash and make the director's cut the non-Zeiss version. Yeah, I 100% agree. I want another cut of this movie that restores them as fucking aliens. And that movie, based on that screenplay, is 4.5 stars. Yeah, Mm. hundo. Now, what I will say is that the screenplay need another draft, right? The screenplay is not- Yeah, like you said, it seems like an early version. It's clunky. It's clunky and there's like some fucking like just clunker lines. A lot of the- Action dialogue is is not things that can be played. It's like describing something that you can't show, yeah. which is mm. kind of not great. Well, you can't screen, do it not, in script, not yeah. great screenwriting. So yeah. some of that stuff needs to be rewritten into show, yeah. Or instead of just telling you on the page, like yeah. you know, there's a thing that says the year is 2024. This is what the the thing is. It doesn't show yeah. you. It doesn't give a visual description of how we're going to tell that story. It just yeah. gives you the block of information, right? So the script is not ideal. But I wish they'd gone to shoot that movie. Or at least a better version of that movie. So the never completed screenplay is five stars. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. But it doesn't exist. 
So the rating of record is mm-hmm. four for the director's cut, one for the theatrical version, 4.5 for the screenplay. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like it's what we've spoken about with the movie Prey. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I'm curious about how you're going to make that connection. Yeah. The first movie, as, as we said, really tough to get out of that box. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. Oh, I, get, I they, see where you're going. They yeah. attempted to, but- They shouldn't have tried to get out of the box. They, yeah. Well, either they shouldn't have tried to get out of the box or just gone, okay, let's work within that box and see what else we can kind of go within. Yeah. And and what locked them into it was we need these two actors and these two characters. <laughs> which is yeah. which is my complaint about most legacy franchises, right? Yeah. Is that you get beholden to the old characters for way too long. Yeah. Why the fuck are we still making movies about John Connor? Yeah. Why the fuck are we still making movies about, you know, whoever else? Um, the mm. Connors. It's <laughs> you know, not even him anymore. It's his mom. Oh, no, I love her. She's great. Yeah, I mean, Dark Fate's fucking terrible. Uh, let's, not get, let's not get distracted. Yeah. Let's not get distracted. Yeah. Can I just say, though, just because you mentioned June before, like, don't you reckon the set design is like Dark City meets June? Yeah. It's Dark yeah. City meets The Crow meets. But yeah. it's also like before, like most of the, I mean, not before June, but it's before The Crow. It's before Dark City. Yeah. It is a, It is the music video style of yeah. filmmaking, right? It's taking all those influences and then and then building them into something. I kind of like, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, turn it into this insane fucking yeah. dystopian science fucking fiction movie with Robocop yeah. vibes, yeah. like where they're fucking aliens. Yeah. Let's see that movie. Fucking oath. Okay, we do, we need to wrap up this fucking podcast. Yeah. This fucking mm-hmm. podcast. Next episode, <laughs> the way that we pick movies is my co-hosts alternate taking turns, speaking from three choices I prepared. This week is in fact Brody's pick. Whoop, whoop. If a movie remains unpicked three times, it's struck out and taken off the list so that I can bring it back at later in my choosing. Still on the list from last week with one strike is Tromeo and Juliet. Two households, differences, dried plums and pears in fair Manhattan where we lay our scene. Two homes adrift in hate for 20 years, a score, a washing sin for long deprived of dreams. Once long ago, they planted seeds of hate, which bloomed to constant battles for revenge. Soon murder was the awful commonplace. And everything once real seemed like pretend. Deep within this storm, a loving two is sparked, spawned in a box of glass one star-crossed night. <laughs> All I can say is you're going to have to bring some fucking heat, can to have me not pick this. And then returning... Wait, do we have two new ones? Oh, yeah, because... We, lo- we lost American Ninja 2. Holy American Ninja fuck! Two. Well, we, we didn't get to do... Really get to do Aliens this week, so let's do Aliens next time around. I'm returning The Hidden... I want this car. Jonathan Miller would never do anything to break the law. I need the keys. Thank you. Bye. He is a very fine, very honest gentleman. Something strange is happening to some ordinary people. Yeah, that's Jack. Real nice man. What do you do, rob a bank? law-abiding taxpayer minding his own business killed 12 people wounded 23 more stole six cars most of them ferraris if anybody deserves to go that way sure in the hell's him we're homicide for 13 years i have never seen anything like this you trying to tell me that she's part of this step out of the car slow I want answers, and I want them now. Explanation won't help you. 
I want to know why it takes 15 shots to take down some zoned-out stripper. Why three law-abiding citizens all of a sudden go crazy and start killing people? We talking spacemen here? Something gets in his way, he kills us. Finds a body, gets inside, uses it to move around. Try for one on the tire. Do you think this is easy? Why don't you try it? Bye. I guess a career in the police didn't really prepare you for this, did it? The Hidden. You think it's over now? You're wrong. This is the super fucking weird one that we also missed, didn't we? You guys have missed it before. Uh, I wouldn't say it's super. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's a good time. And then the third pick comes with a story. Ooh. This is the first tape that we've had donated to the podcast. Oh, oh. shit. A friend of Kira's, in mm-hmm. fact, her pen pal from childhood. Okay. Avid listener of the pod and Twitch streamer, Jody. Yeah, what's up? Hi, Jody. She sent a baby care package to me, Kira, and my son. Mm-hmm. And in that, there was VHS tapes. So I have pulled one of those tapes. Okay. Mm. So I am adding to the list, Evil Dead. Your girlfriend, you take care of her. come clean about something. Oh, I know you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. Neither have I, I. I have seen a lot of parts of it and I feel like I've seen it, but I know why I haven't seen it. There's a reason for that. And if you pick it, I'll tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> Is it because you, you, you could just watch the second one and it's the same thing, but better? <laughs> Shut up. Controversial. <laughs> so oh, you I would fucked also, me up. I would also like to point out, this is the very first time we've had three R-rated picks. Oh, Ooh. shit. So Tromeo and Juliet, 
I have like been looking forward to a because we could not do this with Kira on the pod. We cannot do Tremio and Julia with Kira. <laughs> Kira actually said to me because she's seen that movie, right? But right. she was, but her response was like. Oh, good. I don't have to do that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, second of all, I kind of want to do Tromeo and Juliet just because, like, it's a whole genre of cinema, which, like, I know, I've heard a little bit about, but I don't know very much about. It's a genre of cinema I've had on the list before, and you fuckers rejected. Which one was uh, that? The, the Toxic Adventure. Yeah. It's made by uh, the same people. You want to weigh in at all? Uh, I don't even know if I'm going to be here next show. Oh, this could be uh, another guest appearance. I'm I'm pushing the hidden away. I want to see your reaction, though. I mean, you do you out of the Evil Dead genre horror, as it says at the bottom of the tape, or Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, fuck. Is he allowed to read the back? He's I'm not, not allowed reading. To read the back. He's allowed I can look, look at the, the pictures. Look at the pictures. <laughs> He's not allowed to read the back. I would like to choose one Evil Dead, please. <laughs> You're most welcome. <laughs> you brought the heat, son. I did. Ugh. I really did. Thank you, Jody. So, yeah, thanks, Jody. Uh, that's a awesome. legend. That's fantastic. Don't like, don't subscribe. Fuck, man, this thing's gone forever. <laughs> We're real tired. But do like and subscribe. Don't like, though. don't subscribe. We'll be back in two weeks. That uh, weird kid video. Uh, yeah, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. All the good stuff. Video. And we're now on YouTube. Uh, I'm slowly boy. adding back episodes on our off weeks. So they'll be classic. Weird kid video, mm-hmm. Jim Carter on oh. YouTube on YouTube this week. What a rough but fantastic start. What's What's hilarious about that episode is that it, like, I had one page of notes and we just Wild. sat down and vamped for like two and a half hours. It's crazy. And hey. It has no structure whatsoever. And uh, good episode. Yeah, it's all right. It's It's pretty solid for it's, what it's it is. It's good. Good for a cold start. Yeah. I, I probably like to run it back. <laughs> <laughs> we can go again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, fuck off, quickening, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Rico's roughneck. Oh. <laughs> you know what? No. Do a line from this movie, please. <laughs> um, None of them made sense. <laughs> I'm glad the magic works. <laughs> and scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can't believe we survived this. <laughs>You should keep Rico's roughnecks and then, you know what? No. (laughs) Don't tell me what to do.